you'll take your Bibles and open them up to Romans chapter 8. In our text this morning, we'll be covering verses 18 through 25. In doing so, we are going to discover a most glorious promise. And that promise is that one day God is going to free all of His creation from struggling and from suffering. Paul begins this thought in verse number 18 with these words. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, so in one sense, verse number 18 kind of serves as the conclusion from the previous paragraph from verses 12 through 17. There, Paul reminded us that sharing in Christ's glory in the future requires that we are willing to share in His suffering right now. And so here, Paul is saying that this future glory is so great that the present suffering is insignificant in comparison to that glory. Now certainly, this truth can help us in the midst of our hard seasons of life. It can help us not to just survive the difficult seasons that we face, but actually thrive in the midst of such suffering. The reality of suffering in this life is undeniable as well as unavoidable. Don't you understand that that word suffering in verse number 18, includes all forms of suffering that we might experience. Which means it includes the suffering that comes from the persecution we face by standing with our Lord and Savior. It includes the suffering that occurs because of the ongoing struggle that exists within the life of believers, of that, that struggle between that new life given to us and that old nature that still tries to manifest itself. It's that suffering as well. It's the suffering that, that comes from living in a fallen world. Thinking back to verse number 17 reminds us that a believer is to suffer with Christ in order that we might be glorified with Him. If you think about it, in a way, suffering prepares us to participate in the glory of God. Now, Simon Peter wrote a letter to a group of believers who were in the midst of great suffering, facing severe persecution, and in that letter, he's trying to instruct them on how to victoriously live a life that we've been called to live. And in that letter, he writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering and struggling 
are the refining process that we must all endure. And as we pass through seasons of suffering, we begin to learn how to expand our our trust and our confidence in God. We learn how to truly rest and rely upon the sovereign hand of our Father. In, In verse number 17, Paul says that believers will share in Christ's suffering. And in verse number 18, he completes the thought by saying that well, the suffering that we now face are completely overshadowed by the glory that awaits each and every one of us that are in Christ Jesus. So the present suffering is temporary. But that future glory is everlasting. In verse 19 he says, For the ancient anxious longing of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now the word creation means everything under man. It's the mineral world. It's the plant world. It's the animal kingdom. Everything. All of creation is is pictured as living and and waiting expectantly for the day when when, when, when the sons of God will be revealed and ultimately glorified. And that word, anxious longing, that that word means an, an excited expectation. right? So there's this ancient longing, and then it says eagerly waits. That, that, that phrase eagerly waits means to, to watch with, with the head erect and the neck outstretched. Looking and, and longing, eagerly excited about what's to come. It is a persistent and un, unswerving expectation. It's an expectation that does not give up no matter what it faces. It's an expectation that keeps looking and longing for that future event to occur. So that verb that's used there in Greek, that eagerly awaits, you can find that verb seven times in the New Testament. Seven times. For you note takers, I'll give you those references. You'll find it in, obviously, Romans 8.19. You'll see it again in verse number 23. And in verse number 25. Then you'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Galatians 5, verse 5. Philippians 3, verse 20. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 28. I'd encourage you to look at every single one of those. Because when you, when you do and when you read them, you will see that every time that eagerly Waits language is used every single time it's used in reference to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the revealing of the sons of God will occur when Jesus returns for his own. And until that time happens, all of creation is pictured as looking and longing, excitedly expecting for that day to arrive. Now, the reason for this excited expectation is given to us in verse number 20. Look at verse 20. And as we, we continue in this section, I want you to see uh, some facts that are going to be revealed about the world that we live in. So verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of Him who subjected it in hope. So here we see that creation was subjected to futility, which means all of creation, whether it's mineral, plant, or animal, all of creation suffers just as we do. It means all of creation suffers damage, loss, destruction, hurt, pain, erosion, death, decay, faces it all. All of creation struggles for life. So creation has been condemned to futility and frustration. Which means that creation is subject to corruption. It's unable to fully realize its, its purpose. And so there are a few things that's said about creation in this verse. First of all, we're told that creation was subjected to futility. Okay, Beyond that, we know that creation was subjected to this futility by God. By God. God is the one who subjected creation to the suffering that we too have to face. Which means creation didn't willingly choose to be condemned to corruption. See, when Adam sinned, God sentenced all of creation. All of creation was affected by the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 17 through 19, it says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat plants, the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. To think about this for a moment. All of creation, the disease and the savagery of the animal world is a result of the fall of man. The hurt and the damage that so easily happens in the plant world is the result of the fall of man. The destruction and the deterioration and the decay that occurs in the mineral world, yeah, it too, result of the fall of man. All the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the floods, the blizzards, the hurricanes, you name it, they constantly remind us that all is not right with us or in the world in which we live. And so all of creation is pictured here as looking forward to its liberation from the effects of the fall of man. So we know that creation was condemned to futility. We know that it was condemned by God. And then we also know that it was condemned by God in hope. Go back to verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
Which means the situation for the world is neither hopeless nor is it final. Creation has the the same hope of redemption as we do. All of creation will ultimately be delivered from its corruption just as we long to be delivered from ours. And so when the fall of man occurred, our, our world in which we live in, God's creation, was bound to fall right along with us. And this is the glorious news as well. When we are liberated from our corruption, our world will be liberated from its corruption. In verse 20, again, for the creation was subjected to futility in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. And creation will experience the glorious hope of living forever with God's children. They, they, uh, creation will experience the, the glorious hope of being completely and perfectly restored and renewed. The day is coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Until then, creation groans and labor for its deliverance. That's why Paul writes in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Note the the language that he uses to describe the longing that creation has. He says, groans. Groans and suffers the pain. He's giving us a vivid illustration of the, the childbirth process. Creation experienced those birth pains under its struggle for survival. Not only that, Ladies, some of you might have had a really long labor and delivery, right? Bless you. But creation has been experiencing those birth pains from the fall of man up to this present moment. They'll continue to experience that pain of childbirth until Christ returns to claim His own. And so in Genesis chapter 1, Verse number 31, it says, And God saw that all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So when God finished His creation, it was a very good creation. But now, God's creation is groaning. Suffering. Struggling. I mean, look how Paul just describes the plight of creation in our text this morning. In verse number 18, he uses the word suffering. In verse number 20, he says futility. Verse 21 describes it as a slavery to corruption. In verse number 22, again, the language groaning and suffering. But, but here's the good news. All of this groaning is not a useless thing. That's why Paul compares it to a woman in labor. 
Yes, there's, there's great pain in the process, but that pain will end when the child is delivered. And so, what a glorious blessing that's at the other end at that painful childbirth process. Behold, new life, the blessing of a child. And so, one day, creation will be delivered. And so, the the groaning creation will once again become that glorious creation that he had always desired. Paul writes, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I share that because I want us to understand and to realize that as believers, we do not need to be fixated or focused solely upon the suffering that we're enduring. Like creation, we should be eagerly, excitedly looking forward to the return of our Lord and Savior. So creation groans, and so do we. We groan as well. Verse 23 says, not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And the term we we talk about, that's, that's the glorification of the saints. So in one sense, each believer has already received adoption because think back, I just covered it. Verse number 15, the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive the spirit of adoption. And so in one sense, we've already been adopted. But in another sense, at the same time, this verse tells us that we still anticipate our adoption in its completeness. That's what it's trying to say. We're still anticipating it to be finalized and fully completed in and through us. God has promised that a believer's body will finally and fully be delivered from both the presence of sin and the practice of sin. And so those who respond by faith to that promise have a hope. That hope is a a confident expectation of that bodily redemption. The confident expectation of that bodily redemption. And and so what what it's saying is the reason why we groan It's because we've already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we've already received a a, a foretaste of the glory that's to come. And so think of it like this. Uh, The Holy Spirit is is like the, the first fruit of a farmer's harvest. That first fruit 
of a farmer's harvest is a guarantee that more's coming. And so as believers, the Holy Spirit serves as our first fruit, a little taste of what's yet to be fully realized in our own lives. So to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes these words, Ephesians 1. He says, In Him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Pause. Nothing can break that seal. You're good. Verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. I want you to think back. Think back to like uh, Numbers chapter 13. Uh, Remember how when, when the spies went into the promised land and they brought back some fruit and then they tasted the fruit that they they brought back and that was a promise of of what was to be experienced or to be received by them and for them when they enter into the promised land well we too as god's children we've tasted the blessings of heaven we've tasted the blessing of heaven through the ministry of the holy spirit And so, because of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, that's what makes us want to see our Lord. That's what makes us want to receive that new body. That's what makes us want to live with Him. That's what makes us want to serve Him for all the ages. See, when Jesus returns we get to enter and experience our full inheritance. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says it like this, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Whew. By, by His working through which He is able to even subject all things to Himself. So creation groans and longs for its release and transformation into that new earth. As children of God, we groan. Longing for our release from the cycle of sin that plays out in our lives. We groan. Longing for the full redemption of our bodies that's waiting for us at the resurrection. And until that day, we groan. We wait. We struggle. We suffer. But we long for. We anticipate. We lean into with excited expectation, the future glory that is ours. For in hope, verse 24, for in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? 
that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we receive this hope. We receive the, the hope that we will one day fully and finally be redeemed. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30, Paul calls that day the day of our redemption. So we hope. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. Which means our our full redemption has yet to happen. But it's coming. Oh, it's coming. We'll receive it when Jesus Christ our Lord returns. So our salvation is in a sense both in the present or in the present tense and also in the future. It is present because the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and submit to Him as our Lord, then we are saved. We are fully set free from the penalty of sin. And it's at that moment that we begin to live our eternal life. But at the same time, we've not yet fully received all of the benefit and blessing that is to be ours. And so with hope, and with trust, and with confidence, and with eager expectation, we look forward to receiving our glorified bodies. Amen? I always wonder what that's going to look like. My, my thought process, I'm just curious. My glorified body, am I going to have hair or am I going to be bald? <laughs> For all eternity, I don't know. Nor do I really care. With that hope and with that trust, we excitedly look forward to the establishment of the new heaven and the new earth. Ooh, with hope, trust, expectation, we look forward to rest. With that hope, trust, excited expectation, we look forward to receiving the rewards of our service and faithfulness. We, we, we look forward to the absence of, of sin, suffering, shame. With that hope and that trust and that excited expectation, we look forward to being face to face with our Savior. Oh, so here's the, the real difficulty of the Christian life. Let me break it down for you. And so we know that when we die, absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Like we know that, right? We know that one day God is going to fully renovate His creation. We know that God is faithful and true to all of His promises. Which means they will all be fulfilled. We know that. But until then, we hurt. We struggle. We suffer. We become discouraged, frustrated, 
impatient. As we come to a close this morning, a couple of thoughts. Out of that frustration and that impatience comes all kinds of bad theology. I'll give you two examples. There are some who believe that God always wills for his children to be both happy and healthy. So if you're a true believer, and according to the logic, then there will never be sickness. You'll always be healthy, always be happy. That mindset is not only unbiblical, it is completely illogical. Everyone who's ever believed that has either died or they're going to. So if we never got sick and we were always healthy, then we would never die. The only way for us to be ushered into the the presence of the Lord is to be ushered in the same way as Enoch and Elijah. And so that bad theology, I think, partly is birthed from our impatience and misunderstanding of the suffering that we endure in this world. What Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 21, John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, Right. These words are faithful and true. I think it's because of our lack of understanding of suffering, because we become frustrated and impatient in the midst of our suffering, then I think that's what leads us to begin to try to claim for the present what God has promised us for the future. Example number two. This concept of perfectionism. Perfectionism is another example of bad theology that's birthed from our frustration with sin and suffering. There are some who believe that they can gain total victory over sin in their life this side of heaven. That total victory can be achieved right here and right now. I want you to understand that total freedom from the practice and the presence of sin does not occur until the resurrection and our glorification. Until that time, we've already discussed it in in, in Paul's letter in Romans, until that time, we'll still struggle with that old nature, right? We'll still struggle with the temptation, struggle with sin, as well as struggling with sickness and death. That's why Paul says each day as God's children were to take captive those thoughts, 
We're to put to death all the things, the desires, the deeds that go against the Word and the will of God. It is a day-to-day struggle that we will always face until our glorification. May you never forget, if Christ Jesus is in you, the best is yet to come. Best is yet to come. If he's in you. And so, stop getting frustrated. Stop being discouraged when you see or when you experience the suffering and the pains of this world because you know that this temporary suffering is in preparation for the eternal glory that's to be received from God's children. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, this is as good as you'll ever see. And it ain't good when you look around. But for those that are, the best is yet to come. So it's with that excited expectation that we should lean in with hope draw nearer and nearer to our God, to to take captive those thoughts and put to death the deeds that take us away from fulfilling the will and the word of our Father. Then no. In a few weeks, two weeks from now, we'll, we'll pick this back up. In fact, two weeks from today, we'll unpack verses 26 and 27. Therefore, let me close by reading those verses. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that we find great encouragement from your word today. Father, as we move into a time of reflection and an opportunity to respond, God, I pray that you would make known unto each of us the decisions that we need to make. Some need to submit and surrender their lives to the Savior. Others need to to commit to being baptized or to 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 seek to join the church or to confess and repent from sins or to, to make commitments of service, whatever needs to happen in this moment, Father. May your Spirit guide us. May you be pleased by what you see from us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'll be down here at the front to pray with you, to encourage you in any way that we can during this time.